just want to give thanks to, um, to the Lord. Uh, ben and Rachel's newborn little man is out of ICU. We're very thankful for that. So let's just thank the Lord. We just believe for his continued uh, strength and health and God's hand to be upon him. And we're just thankful to God. And we just stand uh, with you guys, Ben and Rachel, and just are praying that everything go well. One other announcement before I, I'm sharing the word today. Um, so, but one thing I want to announce: we had had one. We had our uh, our uh, AGM this week on the Monday night. There was a little announcement, um, and it's that Debbie and I, in February, are going to pass a baton filled with the fire of God onto Ben and Rach to lead this church. And I'm very excited about that. And uh, we'll have more to say in that space over the next few months. We want to we, 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 we have some prayer in this church during that time. We want to um, pass some fire on. We want to pass what God's doing. And I'm just, I'm just excited for that and the future. And uh, the next, probably in the next few weeks, Ben and Rach have also got their credentials with the ACC. And we'll be praying for them when Gary Swenson's here with us next month just for that. And, yeah, we'll just work in this space. It's obviously a big, big time for Ben and Rach. Ben's finishing fairly big job. He's been on the last eight, nine, ten, ten months. And they've got a newborn as well. We want to make sure they get themselves a little break before we um, scootle off for a, a little break ourselves or something. Who knows? But we are not going. Debbie and I are staying here as well. Um, we just want to serve. We just want to uh, champion what's happening next. We just believe God's got a plan for this church. It's not about one person. It's not even about a few. It's about all of us, and it's about God's purpose and his plan. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God, and he does things, and uh, I just believe God has a, a plan and a purpose for this church and it's, and it's not just about us, it's about our town. And we're going to reach out, we're going to impact our, our town, we're going to see people reach with the uh, gospel, we're just going to see lives changed, and that's what it's about. So just watch this space. Well, today I want to um, share a message similar to the one I shared a few weeks ago. I shared about blind Bartimaeus. Uh, uh, I titled it Miracles Today. Well, I just want to share a few more miracles because I'm getting stirred about miracles. I, wasn't that a great song, Kim and the team, saying um, there's another miracle in this house? Do you believe there's room for another miracle? Do you do you, I think we need to make room for a miracle. And um, I've just been... I shared last time I was waiting on a book to arrive that's just been released by a guy named Craig, Craig Keener. It's called Miracles Today. I've been reading through that. And it's just, I've just felt stirred. I want to lift your expectation as well and your faith. Just want to just encourage us all today. Uh, one quote that came out of this book, which I was touched by, it says, In the Bible, divine signs get the attention of those who are open, but bring to the surface the hostility of those who are not. Isn't it amazing what effect God's hand and when he moves can have? Because it always gets their attention, perhaps, those that get a bit moved by this, because it can expose the attitude of our heart. 
we were away at a conference a week before last and there was a gentleman named Shane Willard that preached. He was from the US and he was in the Pensacola Revival back in 92, 3, 4. It was during those years. It went for about seven years. A lot of great things occurred. He, he, he was in a meeting one night where there was a friend of his that was leading the service that night. He shared how there was a whole lot of youth that had come along that were in a certain pocket of the room that were mocking what was going on. They were mocking because they didn't believe in what was happening and they even had one of their friends in a wheelchair who actually was in a wheelchair for, for quite a period of time. I'm not sure what the disability was, but that's how they were. And they just sort of made a big mockery of this and began to do all this. The thing that occurred that was a shock was that in the middle of while they were praying in the name of Jesus, their friend suddenly got healed. And, um, you know, God likes to rattle our cage, I think, at times. And uh, then the guy that was sort of leading this little gang of uh, mockers, he comes up to the guy that's leading the meeting, who's a bit reluctant to get him to give him the mic, and he shares then how his friend had gotten healed. It was just amazing. And it, it, it actually reminded me many years ago, uh, we had a friend we knew whose name was Tom Gill. And Tom Gill was the, the town drunk up at Warwick, and he used to work for the railways, and he was a, a railway man, and he was a good drinker, a heavy drink drinker. He used to thieve chickens from your chicken pen and then sell them at the pub in a raffle. And, uh, and he'd do all sorts of things. And even the guy that maybe won the chicken, he'd go back and get it off him again. And he had all these stories to tell. He was a bit of a rat bag, you might say. And Tom, um, one day, heard the gospel preached by the sal 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 salvos. And he came to the Lord, he got saved, and he got born again. He was very much on fire for the Lord, had a really changed life. But then one year, COC, which was a denomination we probably, any here would know, came up there to Warwick to do a tent, a tent, tent crusade. And one of his girls said, Dad, are you going up to the tent crusade? He said, no, I'm not going up to those rat bags, you know, because he thought they were rat bags. They're all talking in tongues and doing things and praying for the sick and he just thought it was it, it, it was just it, it was just a show and it was just a fake and, and anyway the meetings were going on at night for I don't know two or three weeks there was people getting saved it was a real move of God at the time Tom rocks up one night because he gets nagged by his girls and he thought oh well I'll just go up and see what those rat bags are doing up goes Tom he's sitting in the aisles and uh, I think it was Clark at the time gets this word of knowledge that someone in the room, uh, there's someone here, you know, they've got pain in their eyes, you know, they've got real bad pain. You want to come out, God will heal you. And uh, Tom, Tom thinks, I've got him, I've got him, because Tom's got these, um, what were they, they were like ulcers that were above his eyes or just sort of around his eyes. They'd been there for months, they'd been giving him so much pain. He was in so much pain, he couldn't get them, um, you know, healed. I don't know what went, went on. And Tom, Tom thought, oh, I've got him. I'll go out, you know, because I've got the real deal. 
out, out, out goes Tommy, gets about halfway up the aisle and all of a sudden the power of God hits him, he falls down, his ulcers pop, they all drain out and then he gets up and he's speaking in tongues. Now, <laughs> Tom said he joined the rat bags, you know. But, you know, God likes to rattle our cage. God's rattled my cage many a time. Maybe like some of you, we can have different responses. We can be maybe a little gullible. Maybe we can be a bit sceptical, you know, a little bit, a little bit too cautious. And uh, I've been really enjoying this book I've been reading because I feel our faith needs to be stirred. We need to hear, hear stories and we need to be stirred. I remember Debbie's dad, who's going to be with the Lord now, Debbie's dad used to drink a lot too when he got saved and then... Years down the track, he was in a meeting here where this woman uh, came who was the granddaughter of Smith Wigglesworth. And she was sharing this message about um, uh, God putting in gold fillings. Now, those kind of things rattle my cage a bit and I'm not sure what the necessity... What, why doesn't God just give you a new tooth, you know? Why has he got to make it gold? You know what I mean? I'm sort of... But she shared this message... And um, I remember Debbie's dad, if you knew Debbie's dad, he was a very matter-of-fact Aussie bloke who just wouldn't um, be up for much nonsense. But anyway, he had pain in his tooth he'd had for a week or more, really bad, and he's sitting in the meeting and she asked, would anyone like to be pray, you know, going to pray for the sick? And uh, Debbie's dad... Uh, Debbie's mum says to him, well, if you don't go out and get prayed for, just serve your right for being in all this pain. Like there wasn't too much mercy from Debbie's mum at that time. So out comes Ray. Ray was not a man of many words, but he came out, got prayed, prayed for, and, and sure enough, that afternoon he went home and his pain was gone. He was very thankful for that. He knew it was God. But the next day he's sitting in the sunroom in their little house and he, he yawns, and he yawns, and the light goes into his mouth, and there's a gold filling where this tooth pain was. And Debbie's mum said, you've got a gold filling. Now, this is Ray Jakes, you know. This is, you know, this is not somebody, this is not just a story I heard. This is Ray sitting there. And he says, she, he, he says, I've never had a gold filling. And... Uh, and, she, and he said, do you know when we ever got a gold filling? She said, we couldn't even afford fillings, you know. And here he is, opens his mouth. He came around this church. I remember it was years ago, but he's parading this gold filling, you know. So I don't know why. I don't know why God does that. I don't know. But it happened and it rattles our cages. Now, I'd just like to read you a story before I preach a message because this is encouraging and I think it's good to hear a story from time to time. If you bear with me, I might bump along a bit, but I'm going to read you this story. It's about a woman named Barbara who was sent home to die. It says, let me tell you about a different Barbara, Barbara Chumskiski. When she was in her teens, the, do- the doctors di- diagnosed her with MS. Although MS can come in milder forms, Barbara's condition deteriorates very quickly. One day she looked out of her hospital window. With all her heart, she wished that she could just be a regular person, able to drive and live a normal life. Yet no matter what, Barbara had decided that she was totally in love with 
the Lord. He was her reason to live. From the age of 15 to the age of, of 31, she spent three quarters of her life in the hospital. The rest of the time she was being cared for at home. She had chronic lung disease with frequent infections and pneumonia. She was told that her condition uh, was, this is how he described it. He said, she was one of the most hopelessly ill people I'd ever seen. She was diagnosed as having MS. She had been admitted to the uh, uh, the local hospital seven times in, in the year that I first asked to see her. Each time she was expected to die. One, one diaphragm was completely paralysed so that the lung was non-functional and the other worked less than 50%. She had a tracky tube in her neck for her to breathe. It always required oxygen and she could speak just in short sentences because she became breathless. Her uh, abdomen used to swell grotesquely because the muscles of her intestine did not work, nor would her bladder function. She was not able to walk for seven years. Her hand and arms were just didn't coordinate and she was blind except for two small parts in each eye. She was hooked up to machines. Because her bowel was paralysed, the uh, doctor disconnected it and they provided her instead with an uh, outside hookup. Another machine helped her breathe. She could not swallow. She had a eating tube in her stomach. She needed so much care that when she was home, a nurse or an aide remained with her most, most of the time. In her words, she was wrapped up like a pretzel. Her feet, they would point down because they could not rest flat against the floor. Even had someone tried to stand her up. Her arms remained tight against her chest. When anyone tried to pull one of her arms away from her body, it would just clamp back against her chest. Her hands curled up against the inside of her wrists. It would leave them... Uh, full of dead skin, except when someone at times would pry them and would clean them out. Someone else here, Dr. Thomas, he assumed her palliative care in what appeared to be the last weeks of her life. He recalls that her body was contracted in a a fetal position. Her hands were so flexed that her fingers illy touched her wrists. She sat adly explained to the family that the next infection would most likely kill her. And, and everyone agreed not to prolong her suffering with anything else and not to give her any CPR. Unable to free, free herself from her petzl-like position or to breathe, she felt trapped inside her own body. Now, after 16 years of deterioration, the doctors had sent her home one last time. They warned her 
parents, it's, un- it's unlikely that she'll survive long enough to see us here again. For more than four years, she'd been to a little church in Wheaton, Illinois, and there was a, there was a faithful pastor who had visited her during that time each, each day. On Pentecost Sunday, on the 7th of June, 1981, two friends of her church came to see, 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 see her. This time they showed up laden with cards and letters. Someone had called in a prayer request about her. There was all these letters came to her in care of her church. As her friends began to read the new letters to her, she suddenly heard a booming, authoritative voice that came across her left shoulder. My child, get up and walk. Because of the breathing true, she could not speak when someone plugged, she could only speak when someone would plug the hole in her neck. They would do this whenever she looked uh, un, uh, unwell. And her friends, seeing her being agitated, plugged the hole. God just told me to get up and walk, she gasped. Her friends grew quiet, but she insisted, go get my family. They dashed out of the room to find them. The sense of urgency in her heart became too intense for her to wait for their return. It would, it would take two of them about two minutes to get her out of bed. They would slide her onto a lap board and then into a chair. But she did not have time to think about what, what should have been impossible for her. She jumped out of bed toward the direction of the voice. She found herself standing. Her feet had been deformed, uh, had, had been too deformed to wear slippers, but now she found them flat on the floor. She saw that her hands were both open at her sides like anyone else, uh, uh, else's. What struck her next was that she could see her hands and feet. She was no longer blind. Freeing herself from the connected apparatus, she disconnected her tracky tube from the oxygen tank and fastened the catheter bags to her clothes with safety pins. At this point, her friends returned to the room. As they caught each other's eyes, her friends began to scream and jump. Her mother came running behind them, assuming that her friends summons that something terrible had happened to Barbara. As Barbara's mother burst into the room, she froze, transfixed with amazement. Not only was she healed from her condition, beyond possible natural explanation, her muscles were not even atrophied as they normally would have been for years of non-use. Barbara, you have calves again. Her mother exclaimed. She examined her own legs with astonishment. Dad, she shouted. Just a minute, he called. He'd not heard the cause of all the commotion. Since she'd become unable to speak, her father assumed it was her sister's voice that called him. 
But Barbara realised that she no longer had to wait for him to come to her. At this time, a friend who came to see her arrived for a visit. She was a therapist who knew her and knew that she'd reached the point of no return for MS. As she witnessed her bolting out of the room, she was horrified. Nobly, she rushed to get to Barbara's pulse. Wait, you can't be in bed that many years and just get up and have a normal heartbeat. But Barbara could not wait for her friend Ange. She raced down the wheelchair ramp. She desperately, uh, Ange desperately grabbed the uh, uh, oxygen tank. We were wheeling it down the ramp behind her. But you can't, you can't, she kept protesting. While those who had followed her out of her room just kept laughing. Then, at last, Dad's, Barbara's dad spotted her. He was overcome with joy and he waltzed her around the room. Her catheter bag still attached to her clothes. Soon she recounts, recounts, she ran outside and hit the black top on that 93 degree sunny day with feet that could now feel and with new sight. And what a dance I did as I inhaled the, the beautiful summer air and saw sights I had so missed. G, 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 Jesus was already her reason to live, but this healing hadn't healed her to live an all life. The next day she went to the doctor. He recounts his feelings when in the hallway of his medical office he first saw her walking toward him. I thought I was seeing an apparition. Apparition. Here was my patient who was not expected to live one more week, totally cured. Over the next three and a half hours, she saw every doctor in the office. They report that none of his colleagues had ever seen anything like this before. X-rays showed that even her collapsed lung was no longer collapsed. He removed all the tubes that could removed could be removed without sur- 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 surgery. She reports his verdict that day. I'll be the first to tell you you're completely healed. I can also tell you that this is medically impossible. Dr. Adolf remarks that her breathing was normal. Her diaphragms were functioning normally. He then had a small op to reconnect her bowel, which was now functional. Her only health issue that involves some small little things from the new operation. That week, they broadcast her testimony in, in the Chicago Trib, 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 Tribune and on television stations, and many magazines and books carried her story. Dr. Marshall told Barbara, you are now free to go out and live your life, which she has for the last four decades with no reoccurrence of MS. Dr. Marshall deems it is his rare privilege to observe the hand of God performing a true miracle. He notes that she eventually studied surgical technology 
and he even would assist me on simple operations. Both her and I knew who had healed her. One day, the man who delivered oxygen to Barbara's house arrived to bring some more, and Barbara herself answered the door with a big smile. He was shocked. He would not be needing to deliver any more oxygen. That's a good story, isn't it? Eh? Anyway, that's just one story. There's so many stories in this book, uh, documented great things, and uh, I, think, I think we need to read some good, some good news from time to time. Barbara was sent home to die, but she lived another four decades. The hand of God, the voice of God spoke, and she was healed. I just want to encourage you today. How was your faith? How is your faith? I think all our, for all of us, our faith needs to be stirred. It's more than just we agree with our minds. It's faith. And um, a few weeks back, I shared this verse, and a few weeks before that, it's just stuck in my heart. It's like a prayer. It's from Isaiah. It goes like this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isn't that our prayer as a church? Isn't that our prayer? God, would you come down? That the mountains may quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brush, brush wood, and the fire would cause the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Did you feel his presence here today? When we worshipped, we need his presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. That's the little line that I love. It says, a God who acts for those who wait for him. The key is we need to be waiting for him. We need to be expectant. It's not a casual, passive, uh, sitting back in the lounge chair, waiting for God to just turn up. It's something that's active, it's expectant, it's sowing, it's praying, it's seeking, it's stepping out, it's an act of faith. And in that passage, verse 7 says, there is, this is the little rebuke there, this is the challenge. It says, there is, no, there is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. I just encourage you, I'm encouraging myself to shake off unbelief and to take hold of God. A few weeks ago, I shared about blind Bartimaeus, a man who was desperate, a man who cried out, and because of his cry, his whole life turned. Because he had faith that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was here, and he was present, and he heals today. He had a conviction of who this man was. He was passionate. He wouldn't let anyone stop him. He wouldn't be shamed. He wouldn't be intimidated. He had a desperate cry and Jesus was passing by and Jesus stopped and he was healed. And Jesus said these wonderful words, go, your faith has made you well. I'd just like to share quickly today about one more miracle story from the book of Mark which is similar to our friend Bartimaeus. It's in Mark 5. You're welcome to turn there. And it's, it's a woman. 
doesn't have her name. But it starts in verse uh, 20, 25. It says, There was a woman who had a dis- discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much beneath the hand of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but, but ra- rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I can even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see what, who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Wonderful story, isn't it? Another true story. Like blind Bartimaeus, this young woman was just as desperate. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I don't know, she could have still been in her 20s. She could have still been quite young. On top of all her physical distress that that would have brought, uh, being a Jew, her bleeding made her continually unclean beneath the law. It would render her or anyone who touched her unclean. It's likely that maybe she could never have kids. Jewish men would often divorce women that were incapable of having kids. She probably, maybe she never married. And if she'd been married, perhaps she'd been divorced. Her condition affected every part of her life. She'd suffered under the hand of many physicians. The doctors then weren't like doctors today, probably superstitious remedies and such. And what they offered her proved ineffective and and, and away. She'd spent all she had and she was close to destitute. She was no better but she grew worse. Seems like all her hope was starting to erode. She was unclean, she was impoverished, she was isolated and she was desperate. It reminds me of a book I read once um, by a woman named Dr. Christine uh, Hallen, I think her name was, and she wrote a book called Hospital by the River. Talked about women in uh, Ethiopia where the young girls were married young and then, then they'd have... Ch- 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 Children, um, before they were old enough, perhaps, they had them too young because of the forced marriage, and they would suffer from from fistulas, and they'd be incontinent, and they'd have to live outside their villages, and they were widowed, and they were destitute, and it was so sad. And you read this book, how they helped to change their lives. This woman was like that. All hope had gone, and she was... She was she was des- desperate. Like blind 
Here's this woman had faith. She had one thing, she had faith. And like the blind man, she'd heard about the reports about Jesus. She'd heard what he was doing. She heard that the sick were being healed. And she, I believe she had a conviction in her heart that he was the Messiah. This woman knew, and she said this. This was her little uh, claim of faith. She says, if I can touch even his garments, I will be made well. Why would she be fixated on touching um, his clothing? Um, there's this verse in, in Malachi, chapter 4, verse 2. Um, it's, it's probably the last words of the Bible before the coming of the Messiah. And it has these beautiful words about the Messiah. It says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? The Messiah will come with healing in his wings. And that word wings is the same Jewish word for the corners of his garments. It's this thing that they used to wear called tassels. I don't know if anyone's ever seen these things or looked at men today that a Jewish can wear them as well on the borders or the hem of, of their clothing that they wear um, across the top of their clothes perhaps is these little, little tassels. And, and Jesus was Jewish and he was a rabbi and he uh, probably wore, wore this. In Numbers it talks about how the Jewish men were to wear tassels. It says, tell them to make tassels on the cor corners of, of, of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue on the, t on the, t on the, t on the tassel of each corner and it shall be a t tassel for you to look at and to, rem to rem remember all the, command, all the commandments of, of the Lord. In ancient times, these garments would give away your status they, their hem was important because it would display your, your identity, your status, and your authority. They say that when you would sign a legal uh, con, 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 contract that was written on clay, you would sign by pressing this little tassel or hem onto the clay. It was your th 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 authority. I don't know if you recall the tale about David when he was in the cave with Saul. You know, you know, you know that story? He's fleeing from Saul and Saul comes into the cave and it's David's chance to, to, uh, to take this, this uh, evil king, perhaps, that had gone so bad. And David uh, sneaks up behind him in, in the cave and he cuts off a little piece of his hem. And it says David's heart was smitten because he took off a little piece of his hem. Why was his heart smitten? It's because it symbolised the authority of the king to reign and he's assaulting his position of authority. That's why David's heart was smitten. It talks there about uh, blue dye, which was used for the blue cords that... Uh, oh, uh, oh, 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 
uh, uh, ordinary Jewish men that would just have blue cords on their tassels, the same blue dye was the same dye that was used by the priests because they were a nation of kings and priests. They were meant to never hide their tassel because it was a sign that they belonged to the Lord. They were meant to be obvious to all that could see that they belonged to the Lord. It wasn't that they, they were told that you couldn't, you couldn't tuck in your tassel, you couldn't hide your tassel. You couldn't, uh, it's a bit like maybe you ever put a sticker on, on your car that conveys that you're a Christian and then thought, oh, I'm not sure if I want a sticker there because then I might have to watch just how I drive, you know. Uh, uh, you couldn't hide it. It's like that, you know, you couldn't uh, put your light beneath a bushel. You had to wear, you had to wear your tassel out. But this woman knew what she was doing. This woman knew that this was his authority. She knew that this was the Messiah. She knew that if I can just touch his authority, if I can just touch even his tassel, if I can just get a little touch of that, he won't even know I'm there. But if I can touch that, I'll be healed. And she reached out, she came up behind because she was afraid, she was unclean and she was in fear and she came up behind and she touched the hem. We used to sing a song, you know. She laid hold of the word and it worked for her. Such a good old song. Jesus, perceiving in himself, it says, that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? All it took was a touch to, to, to his hem, to his tassel, and a junimus power was drawn out from Jesus by faith. I just find this an amazing miracle because it happened without any act we see on Jesus' part. He didn't turn around and then pray for her. He, didn't even, he, he just sensed power had gone out of him because she touched him in faith. She touched the power. She took the initiative. She pressed in. She was active. She was expectant. She pressed in for a miracle. What's also significant is that, the, her, that Jesus was never at risk to lose his purity of being defiled by her touch. In fact, it went the other way. It healed her. The unclean was made clean. What a beautiful picture, eh? Here we have someone that instead of uh, would withdraw from God because of their shame, they came close to God, they reached out to him, and they were healed. I just wonder if the team can come up. We'll just finish with a song. In Mark it says... And whenever he came, in villages, cities, or, con- or, or con- 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 countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and employed him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. As many as touched it were made well. It was this woman's faith. That was the catalyst. God acts for those who wait for him. Not passive, but active. Laying hold of God. Expectant, 
praying, sowing, stepping out. You know, there's a phrase that a preacher used once. It says, when we step out in faith, God steps in in power. There's so many needs. There's so many things that are still beyond our great medical help. Like that woman we read. They had no answer for her, but Jesus healed her. Jesus remains the ultimate answer for all our need. I just love this story. When, we, um, when I read it, it not only stirs my faith for miracles, but the gospel is so clear in there. We can so see ourselves. We're all unclean. We're all slowly, before we met the Lord, bleeding out. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin has had affected us all. Our condition had no human cure. We were drained. We were isolated. We were depleted emotionally, physically and financially. For this woman, beneath the law, her relationships were strained. Everyone she touched was made unclean. Her condition not just impacted her, it was impacting all those who she touched. You know, our brokenness can affect those close to us, our family, our friends. And when we get healed, when we meet the Lord, it impacts all those who are close to us. On the outside, everything can look fine. But on the inside, we are dying. We can battle shame. We can avoid to get close to those that who, who could help. Sin is like that, isn't it? It just, it just robs us. And Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Can we sing? What song you want to sing, Kim? What do you think? Glorious day? Yeah. I just invite you. We're going to sing this song. There's hope in Jesus, isn't there? There's hope in him. If we're feeling like we're slowly dying, if, you feel, if, if you've never known the Lord, we can reach out to him today. There's healing in his wings for every human need, for every condition, for everything that we need, we can find our answer in him. We can reach out, put our trust in him, link our faith to him and touch him and believe that power will flow for us. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power to heal. There's power to deliver. There's power to restore. He heals the brokenhearted and he sets the captives free. I just invite you, let's sing this song once more as we... Finish up. Gl glorious day. Is that the 